You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a community of people seeking to live our lives in the orienting center of God's love in the midst of our post-Christian world, learning to lead like Jesus, live on mission, and make disciples. In nature, gravity is the phenomenon that brings stuff together, objects as small as atoms and quarks, and as large as stars and galaxies. We believe the gravity of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds everything together. Ben, do you have thoughts that you feel guilty thinking? Um, yes. Let's hear them. Right. <laughs> I, I, hold on, I've got a list on my phone. <laughs> All your guilty thoughts. No, uh, I uh, I feel guilty in general about thinking. So I've got uh, this is an enneagram thing, but like as right. an enneagram one, I have this like critical. I'm critical towards myself, but I'm also critical towards like people and situations and things. Like I mm-hmm. see what's wrong yep. right away, and I don't like that about myself. And so I oftentimes initially feel a critical when i when i initially have a critical thought about someone i i i feel bad about it i'm like why am i critiquing everybody yeah yeah okay well those in general i feel bad i feel guilty about having critical thoughts sometimes i get thoughts that aren't like necessarily guilty thoughts or sinful thoughts i feel bad about thinking them because i feel like i'm crazy thinking them meaning um i feel like they're these things i think and i'm convicted of Nobody else thinks this, and I must be wrong because this is so far mm. away from, like, am I? If I'm the only person, like, theologically speaking or spiritually speaking, oh, yeah, okay. if you're the only one saying it, maybe you should check yourself right. before you wreck yourself. You know what yeah, I mean? Right, like, right, right. like, 
just question the fact that maybe you aren't the first person to get it right in the history of right, yeah, of I, all things holy. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, guys, have you guys read the Bible before? Because I think I've found something here. No, so no, like, yeah, that makes sense. But part it. part of uh, what we're going to share with you today is a conversation with uh, Matthew Bates, and he's written a couple books, and his latest one um, is on the gospel. Mm. Um, gospel, uh, gospel allegiance. Gospel allegiance is the book, and in this book, he describes the gospel. In he puts, he gives me permission Mm. to have the convictions I've had for a long time, Mm. but have felt a little sheepish or crazy for having them. Yeah, so he's done like the academic work where you're like, see. Yeah, I'm not crazy. I just throw Ma- I just throw Matthew Bates at people now. <laughs> right, I got a whole right. trunk full of these books, and if anybody questions me, no, I think this. Uh, so I just highly recommend Gospel Agents. Yeah. First of all, it's yeah. super uh, well thought out and super clear. Mm-hmm. And two, he gets at the heart of something that's bothered us for a while, and something at the heart of what we do at Gravity, which is the if we get the gospel wrong, the announcement, the declaration that Jesus is the reigning King, yeah, and that we can live in loyalty and demonstrate trust to him in our actual lives. Yes. And that his spirit mm-hmm. is wanting and waiting to help us participate in that. Right. If if the gospel becomes becomes something else, an abstract proposition yeah, some, about a theory or some a sort of formula. Mental, getting your mental furniture correct about yes. how, what, how the atonement works. Yes. Yeah. And so for uh, I came to Christ um in a mm. community that lived out allegiance to Jesus, but spoke the gospel as this yeah, uh, right. salvation formula. Interesting, yeah. So uh, the, I was like, oh, okay, I guess the salvation formula is important. But the community itself discipled me into, apprenticed me into living as though Jesus was king. So right. I, I feel like I'm one of the, uh, I'm fortunate, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, although fortune is a pagan word that has to do with Yeah, that, uh, that's not the gospel. Gods. Yeah, but, I, but you know, I'm using it in a colloquial sense, not no, no, in the no. technical Greek yeah. uh, god sense. Yeah. Uh, but I'm fortunate, meaning... Uh, <laughs> the one person who was offended is, uh, they already turned it off anyway. So, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, only you Greek metaphysical geeks. Uh, so anyway, I felt fortunate that I did that. Anyway, we're going to share with you this this interview with Matthew Bates where we talk about hmm. uh, the word faith, yeah. meaning allegiance or um, loyalty or, yeah. an, we, we, oh, we say gravity, an embodied demonstration of trust. Yes. And that just changes everything. It does. It takes Christianity from a head trip. Mm-hmm. To an embodied reality, something we're participating in, yes. and it's and, and we want to contend. That it's the hope. Of, it's a hope of the world. Like yeah. the hope of the world is wrapped up in us getting quote the gospel right. Yeah, and I think Matt does. Yeah, yeah, and we want great. We want to get out of the way. Yeah, and let him do his thing. Yeah, yeah. Let his words tap dance all over your eardrums. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yes, yes. We're excited to uh, give this interview to you. But before we do, before we do, there's a. There, you're going to be. You're you're a traveling, traveling man. A traveling uh, next weekend. I'm going to be in uh, Lexington, Kentucky, doing an Enneagram workshop. So if you're in the area, there are still uh, tickets available. Is that with um, um, Roar? Roar? Uh, Justin may be there, a friend of ours yeah. uh, who pastors Restoration Church in Lexington. Um, he helped sponsor our last Enneagram workshop in Lexington. Uh, this is uh, at a different church, uh, Eastland oh. Church of God. Um, Are we cheating on Justin? <laughs> no, <laughs> we're not. 
<laughs> or uh, or Martin, uh, the other Apostles oh, Anglican was the other church that oh, sponsored yeah. it last yeah, yeah, yeah. time. So anyway, uh, but we're going to be there. Um, there'll be a link in the show notes. But if you go to enneagramlexington.eventbrite.com, mm-hmm. you can get tickets. Um, would love to see you there. Um, the other thing to mention, uh, we, we talk a little bit about this in the interview uh, with Matthew Bates, uh, because the, the thing that's interesting to me... What's interesting to you, Ben? ...about... Uh, I'm about to tell you. Okay. Um, about gospel allegiance um, is that we, we have to get the gospel right, but that's less of a... Uh, I think for me as a pastor, that makes a big difference. I preach... You know, if I preach every Sunday or I preach most Sundays, getting the gospel right is something that I feel like I want to learn how to do in my sermons. Um, but then getting the gospel right is also something I want to learn how to do, like, just with, with my neighbors, with with people. Like, like if it's not a formula, like, how do I learn how to contextualize good news, the good news that yeah. Jesus is king? Yep. Um, so anyway, we talk a little bit about this, uh, but I, I was realizing as we were interviewing Matthew that this is basically what we do in Gravity Leadership Academy. Uh, yes. Yeah. It felt so validating and affirming. I felt like Bates really, he really sees me. <laughs> he really gets me. And this is important. None of the rest of you do. But we're starting. No. <laughs> no, but Gravity... If you're listening, no. you can't see me. Um, <laughs> no, but we're starting a, a new cohort or two, and I just want to give a shout out to, if you've been thinking about it, email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. I'd love to chat with you about it. Mm-hmm. Just so you know, two things about me. One, <clears throat> I still have a cold. Two... <laughs> I'm going to go three things now. <laughs> Two, I'm like the world's worst salesman. Yeah. And I talk as many people out of being in cohorts as who get in them. But three, this will change your life. Yeah. If, if, you've, if you survive the filter uh, of that conversation uh, where Matt tries to talk you out of it, um, then it will change your life. Um, so anyway. And I'll be leading a court if I survive. <laughs> if Just you, period, survive. If, yeah, yeah, if you survive this cold, um, <laughs> if you don't. We've started to make jokes about, uh, you know, what happens if Matt doesn't make it to Sunday. Please, and, you know. please pray for me if you're listening and, you, and you're, you have, you're the praying type. Yeah. Uh, anyway. anyway. But we are starting um, a, a new Gravity Leadership cohort, year one. We're also starting a year two, if you've already been through the first year. Um, so, yes, email us. You can email Matt directly, <laughs> matt at gravityleadership.com. You just gave out my personal <gasps> email address. It's pretty simple. Um, and uh, But, yeah, Matt's putting those together. Um, yeah, I commend it to you. Please please do that. All right. And now, yeah. without any further ado, or adieu. other French words, uh, yeah. we adieu. give you Matthew Bates. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Indeed. Hey, th- thanks, Matt and Ben. It's wonderful to be with you guys. Yeah. Just yeah. a reminder, mm-hmm. Matthew Bates is the associate professor okay. uh, at Quincy University. Is Quincy that right? University. And what's where, right. where is Quincy? Quincy is in central Illinois, uh, right on the Mississippi River. Very nice. Is it one of the Quad Cities? Is it part of the Quad Cities? It is not, no. But we, no. Uh, we, and I believe Davenport both claim to be the gem of the Mississippi. Ah, so you can. Uh, very good. Quincy, yeah. Quincy, and little, Davenport duking it out. Right, little, little inner Mississippi River rivalry going there. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yes. Well, very good. Uh, I'm glad that you pointed that out, Matt, because uh, with two Matts on the podcast today, I 
I do anything to distinguish the two of you is really helpful for he's me. He's in Quincy and I'm in your kitchen. Yep. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's, that's one that's one thing. Uh, he's also an associate professor of theology. Yeah, and I left that out. And you're uh, you're not uh, currently a professor of anything. So no. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Matthew, it's great to have you. Yep. Um, Can I share one more thing about <laughs> about please, Matthew? Please share something. About um, Matthew. He has a podcast himself called On yes, Script. It's a good one. And. You you have two of my top ten podcasts of all time, Matthew. Really? The, wow. The, what are they? The interviews uh-huh. with John Bear. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, did you yeah. listen to those? I did. Yeah, but I didn't host them. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. They those were those were great. I I wish I would have jumped on there as I um yeah I would have uh, liked dialogue with Bear as he's one of my heroes. He's written some you know marvelous book books on yeah. Nicene theology pre Nicene theology but he's done a lot of work on ancient hermeneutics you know yeah, and yeah. you know kind of stuff on allegory and typology and a lot of that's in my wheelhouse in my previous work that I did hmm. on um, my dissertation work on Paul and scripture and then I did a, a second book with Oxford on Trinitarian theology and okay. yeah I, I would have had some um, points where I would have wanted to push back a little bit on mm, some sure. other things he was saying actually uh, so uh, but I'm largely c- complimentary obviously to his approach sure. but yeah. Um, yeah I think it would have been a good dialogue yeah yeah it would have been um, yes that's great yeah, I, I really love that podcast as well. Uh, the other, the other one, uh, the other one of was it was it your podcast where you had that uh, spoiler alert fake interview uh, with the <laughs> yeah. with the yeah. uh, the super arrogant kind of narcissistic scholar. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That was our April Fool's episode. Oh yeah. man, you had <laughs> yeah. me. I have to confess, and I feel a little bit sheepish confessing this, but you you guys had me going for about ten minutes, <laughs> where I was like, can this be real? <laughs> Can this? Yeah, and then finally, I was like, "This is not real. <laughs> this is can't be." Let me say something yeah. about the state of. Uh... I know it says right. It says something about the state of I don't know Christendom, <laughs> yeah, it's like multiverse that... theory. Yeah, Paul and multiverse. Theory. Right, right. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, and just, just all like, of the like. Then, yeah, yeah, Matt. Lynch I just want to do my work. He, yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah, when he de- he deadpans, you know, like the publication. He's like, and, and we're we're speaking with Erwin Shiplatsum about his book published by creative spaces <laughs> like, just, right yeah. right which is the self-publishing online yeah, platform yes. yeah yeah and it's like matt uh, kind of pointed like he hadn't caught that yet you know that they, <laughs> that they were interviewing somebody with you know instead of with you know a university press with you know yeah yeah anyway go uh friends we just can uh if you're commend. listening to this, we commend uh, that podcast to you, uh, especially the episodes with Bear, and see if you can look up the one with around April Fool's Day with er- what was this guy's name? Erwin Shablatsum. Yeah, yeah, Erwin Shablatsum. <laughs> <laughs> Great name. All right. Well, we're not talking about that uh, today, though. We want to talk about your your new book, Gospel Allegiance. Um, if you haven't heard our other interview with Matthew, uh, we interviewed him about his uh, previous book, which. Uh, what was that one called? There it is. Salvation, Salvation by Salvation. Allegiance Alone. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, you do a lot of work in that previous book about kind of connecting this idea of faith um, to the, the concept of allegiance, um, a more embodied kind of loyalty than oftentimes the internal mental assent that we oftentimes associate with faith. Uh, so that's a great podcast. I encourage you to listen to it. Um, talk to us about why, why this second book, because um, obviously you're, you're building on some of the themes in the first book, um, but, but why write the second book on gospel allegiance? What's, uh, what are you, what are you filling out there? Yeah. 
Um, well, I think that the work I did in Salvation by Allegiance alone was fun and exciting to me, but it, it sort of left an incompletion. Um, and where I, I felt like more work needed to be done um, was just deepening the hole on the one hand, but also um, doing some further work on the implications of that. And so this is uh, this Gospel Allegiance book. Well, actually, this is sort of a prequel and there will be a sequel to it as well that we'll oh, push into like um, a Star yeah, Wars some, situation. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, some, <laughs> some different territory. But specifically, I, I felt like the work that I had done on the gospel was a little bit underdeveloped in Salvation by Allegiance alone. So I really, I'd gotten some pushback on that from some people who hmm. had read the first book and, um, or, or maybe people just not really getting um, why, um, what was at stake. And hmm. I, I felt like there needed to be a deeper exploration of the gospel to to underpin some of that work so that people really begin to get that the gospel center is not justification by faith. Uh, or the Romans road or whatever else we might want to say that it is, but that it's Jesus is the saving King. And the, the gospel in the Bible is actually really specific. Um, and mm-hmm. I think it's quite, it's quite particular and that mm-hmm. there's a misunderstanding about that. I think in evangelicalism is the gospel is a little bit squishy. Mm-hmm. So trying to push beyond some of that squishiness and to add the necessary precision that we need about what exactly is the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to do that work in this book um, and, and then building on that to, to deepen some of the major themes in the last book, um, you know, that, that would have to do with faith, with works, with grace, especially yeah. with regard to um, works and grace. I feel feel like I hadn't gone deeply enough in the last book. Um, and so there was just more to say. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, Matt. Um, what was the pushback you received? Like what were the, were they, was it um, like scholarly critiques? Or are we talking like people blogging, you know, on uh, their um, live journal page? Yeah, there was there was some of some of both. Uh, there wasn't a lot of scholarly critique. There was one published article that, um, frankly, I don't think was a, a particularly great scholarly piece. If I'm honest, mm-hmm. um, um, <laughs> I hope I'm not uncharitable in saying that. But I, <laughs> but I really, I didn't find it very. Um, I, you know, it's with fear and trepidation you read a 20 page critique of your book, wow, um, right. and uh, I felt like at the end of the day there wasn't much there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was a couple things that that, that did help. Um, but some of it, I think, um, some of his critique was based on outdated linguistic philosophy, or th- um, hmm. for lack of better terminology, um, some of it was uh, a critique that was based, I think, more in 1960s sort of lexical studies, hmm. um, and and wasn't as up to date as it should be, and in terms of like uh, recent advances in cognitive linguistics that help us to understand better how words mean things. Yes. Um. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing some work in this book to, um, you know, to, to help shore up some of those overall weaknesses uh, in the book that I think, you know, I, I, I make assumptions about how words mean things, for instance, hmm. that I, I think are rooted in sound scholarship and the, and the best recent scholarship. But I didn't communicate that scholarship in the last book uh, because that wasn't the audience. So, um, yeah, anyway, but, but it made me realize I needed to do more. And uh, so that that would be some pushback, but the, the people who really pushed back against this book were actually people who were part of the free grace crowd. And um, for those in the audience who don't know what free grace is, it's a perspective on scripture that would suggest that you don't need to do any, that, that works can have nothing to do with your salvation, which is not a traditional Protestant position. Hmm. Um, but the traditional Protestant position is that works don't merit salvation. 
uh, but that you do but good works are nevertheless required. That would be the, the traditional Protestant position, yeah. usually as a confirmation that you are saved. Mm -hmm. um, and so the free grace people, uh, they don't like any of that. They want to say that, like, actually, you don't even need to repent from your sins other than just trusting Jesus as Savior. Like, repenting from sins means, like, uh, moving from a framework where you didn't trust him to now beginning to trust him as Savior and nothing else. It doesn't actually mean that your yeah. behavior needs to change in any kind of tangible way. Yeah. Well, even yeah. even that way of framing it, right, is just to I don't know what that would mean. What would it mean that you trust Jesus? Yeah. Unless it manifests itself in some in some way, it's it feels like there's this yeah. weird mental exercise, like this like, am I thinking the correct thoughts? Is that how I trust? You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. So anyway, that feels feels like uh, really important work because I think there's been a lot of confusion about that. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I do, and and uh, and so some of the this book was a movement from like the conversation. Uh, in, the, in Salvation by Allegiance Alone, I guess one way to frame it is that the conversation is mainly with academics. Um, it's not like a it's not like a real heavy hitting academic book. I mean, I try to make it as readable as I could. Yeah. But nevertheless, it's footnoted and the conversation is with other academics. Um, in Gospel Allegiance, the conversation switches and it's with pastor scholars. Well, so that yeah. yeah. John MacArthur, John Piper, R.C. Sproul, and so on and so forth. Those mm. are the main conversation partners. Yeah, and uh, with the work we do at Gravity, we work with pastors who um, are, aren't necessarily scholars, but all right. of us, if we're if we're preaching and teaching in a local church, yeah. we, there's some element of scholarship that we're engaging with, whether we know it or not. Yeah. yeah. Um, and this book was really helpful, Matt, in the sense of getting really clear on the scope and shape of what you mean by gospel, yes. and you tie it to, I think, 10... Ten events, which was an expansion on your previous book, which was a, a, a couple fewer. Um, we, I think, all of us who grew up in a Protestant evangelical sort of ethos know that Jesus's death and resurrection are a part of the gospel in some way. Can you yeah. can you unpack from there though? What if we just talk about Jesus's death and resurrection? What we're lacking in our gospel? Hmm. Yeah, that's that's a great question because that's really the heart of the project, right? Is that Jesus has become the king and that his enthronement is the heart of the gospel. Um, um, heart's not maybe not the best word or center of the gospel. I don't like that language for a variety of reasons, is I think that oftentimes within evangelicalism, the cross has been asserted to be the heart of the gospel. Um, mm -hmm. Whether that mean, is intended theologically or programmatically, it's hard to, it's hard to know what that might mean. Um, but a lot of energy, you know, is on the cross. And I, and I say on the one hand, yeah, hooray, you know, we applaud the cross. We don't want to do anything that would detract from, a, a, you know, um, the cross as being essential to the gospel. Hmm. But nevertheless, whenever we actually begin to study the scripture on with care on the topic of the gospel, we see that the climactic energy again and again lands somewhere else. It lands on Jesus becoming the king and that he's now ruling and that he's defeated his enemies. Now, the cross is the path, you know, as part of the path along along which he must tread in order to defeat his enemies. Uh, but nevertheless, it doesn't. It seems like there's more energy in the Bible around the idea that Jesus has become the king or the Messiah or the Christ or the Lord or however we want to phrase this. Mm. So Christians, on the one hand, are, are are quick to acknowledge that. I mean, if you ask, you know, any Christian on the street, is Jesus the Lord or the king? I mean, <laughs> I think that you're going to find a universal. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Right. Um, but. It sounds whenever, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But whenever people actually, if you were to ask somebody to articulate the gospel, um, if they were to say that Jesus is the king as part of that, they might, they might not. I've done this exercise with lots of different people and I'm maybe 50, 50, 
you know, with people expressing huh. Jesus's kingship uh, in some way as part of the gospel. Yeah. Um, but if they do, it's primarily within a framework of like, and he's the Lord, so you need to trust him, right? And so there's something that's been some some in some way his lordship has been um, declawed or evacuated from some of its critical content. And that's where bringing in the, the second component of faith is, is very important. So Jesus's kingship obviously would be front and center. Um, but if I was to unpack the full, you know, 10 point sequence there, um, we would want to say that the overarching framework, you know, getting that right is the most important point, you know, Jesus is king. But beyond that, scripture is clear that the father sends the son as promised, you know, in scripture mm-hmm. that this uh, that this uh, the son takes on human flesh, uh, that he that he dies on the cross for our sins. He's buried. Uh, he's raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and he appears to many witnesses. And then he's enthroned, right, as the right mm-hmm. hand, at the right hand yeah. of God. And that's where I want to see the energy lands. And then as part of his enthronement, the Father and the Son send the Spirit. Uh, and uh, in the wake of the sending of the Spirit, then, of course, uh, Jesus will return again as the final king and judge to rule. And we get swept up in that, right, as uh, the saints will rule alongside the king and with the king. Yes. So that's the full gospel would be to have all of those elements mm-hmm. um, and not just to restrict it to the cross and resurrection. Yeah. 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 It's, what strikes me as I read this book, Matt, is, you know, we're uh, in the Anglican tradition. Every week we read four scriptures. We read a gospel reading. And then we say, uh, we've just heard the gospel read. Now let us proclaim the gospel in the Apostles' Creed. And it just occurs to me as I read your book that uh, you're, you're basically unpacking the Apostles' Creed as as the, you know, the... The, the gospel, the, the rule go- of faith. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. faith wants to be It was like a shorthand, right. Yeah. Like the creeds are essentially, well, the, the Apostles' Creed anyway seems to be an old, they, like these were all shorthand ways of referring to the good news, the gospel. Like yeah. what is the good news of Jesus Christ? And then there would be these shorthand ways of referring to it. Um, and that kind of grew, you know, it grew, it grew from there, obviously, into other articulations that people needed to make. Yeah, um, that's right. I, I think that um, I love, you know, the, the Anglican and Catholic tradition, you know, of reading the four texts, right? And uh, one of the ironies within evangelicalism, right, is it's all about Scripture, 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 but then you actually get to church and you're lucky if you, ha- you hear any Scripture read aloud at all. I know. Right? Maybe yeah. before the sermon, you might yeah. get a little tiny bit, but uh, I do think that um, as, you know, evangelicals are seeking to recover a more liturgical dimension to what yeah. they're doing, and they're free to do so, right? They can yeah. do anything they want. That's one of the beauties of evangelicalism is they can remake <laughs> themselves, right? Um, like, yeah. let's hope that they remake themselves in such a way that they they put a little yeah. more focus on Scripture. But yeah, yeah. the Apostles' Creed. I mean, now, if I was to critique the Anglican Anglican Catholic tradition on how they use it, <laughs> right, uh, uh, would be that it tends to be in the in the credo sort of sense, right? Like this is a, an I believe. So here we are to, together affirming what we believe rather right. than, um, so it, it tends to move it into the intellectual sphere immediately yes. yep. and rather than into the allegiance sphere. Yes. And that's where I would like to pressure you all, right, to, um, <laughs> to, to as you do this, you, you have the opportunity every Sunday, right, mobilize it so that it's not just a statement of what we commonly together believe, but a statement of, of a, a sort of a rallying cry of allegiance to Jesus, yes. who is this king yes. that we find articulated in the creed. Yeah. No, I, I receive that. I feel like that's part of that's part of our. I mean, you know, part of the instinct is to say, let's. We're not just like reciting some facts we believe we assent to, but we are proclaiming the gospel. Yeah, 
Yeah, we're we're awesome. you know we're we're trying to proclaim the gospel. The last really Anglican uh, gathering we were at, our friend David Fitch. Do you know David Fitch? Mm-hmm. Um, he, he he uh, talked about the creed and he zinged the Anglicans for the same thing you were talking about, <laughs> and uh, it really stirred some people up. Um, let's. Well, I, I, Fitch knows how to stir people up. He yeah, does know how to stir people up. Yeah. Um, Matt, I, I want to talk a little bit about one of the one of the greatest gifts, no pun intended, that you do in this book is you summarize and in. 20 pages, John Barclay's book about grace, um, which is, I don't know, um, I've, I've read reviews of it because I don't have $86 to buy it, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's a, it is completely changing the way we think about and understand what this word grace means. Hmm. Um, and one of the things that I, when I became a Christian, it was like the, one of the primary things that I had to trust was that um, I'm grace. I can't do anything to earn grace, and if I do anything, then I'm violating yep. or confounding the work of grace. But in your book, you talk about how grace in Jesus's day actually came. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be a little cheeky here. Came with some strings attached. Can <laughs> yeah. can you can you uh, unpack that for us and and explain why? Even though that sounds heretical, that's biblical. Yeah. Um, it's because grace demanded reciprocation, you know, would be yeah. one way to think yeah. about it. Yeah. And that ancient gift giving demanded you give a gift back in order to socially receive the gift. So, you know, if, if, you know, Ben, if you choose to give me, um, you know, uh, what's, what's something that would be pretty nice? Like, um, I don't know, um, a new watch. A new oh, watch. Nice. I noticed you're All wearing right. a, you're wearing a watch. Yeah. Are you wearing a watch? It's a nice one. You give me an even better one. Yeah. I'll um, give you an even better watch. Yeah. Um, well, I might feel obligated to give you something back, you right, know, um, right. something you're into. Um, you know, maybe I need to give you, an, a, you know, new uh, headphones. I don't know. Maybe yeah, you okay, need some right. those ones, yeah. you know, that are yeah. like even higher quality. I have no idea. But I might, you know, within ancient gift giving culture, you right. needed to give a gift back is the point to socially receive the first gift. So Barclay points this out and um, and has a discussion around some of this. So, you know, um, the analogy I use in, in the book would be that you, you know, um, in, in terms of gift giving, right? We, we don't give certain kinds of gifts either to, um, to anybody. Like we, we assess something around the merit and this was common sense in the ancient world too. Like I think yeah. the, 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 the example I use in the book is that we, we don't give a four-year-old, um, you know, professional quality art, art supplies, you know, because she'll just ruin them. She'll, you know, right. blunt, blunt the tips of the brushes and dump, dump paint on your sofa. Mm-hmm. Right. Is, right. Uh, and so the problem there, you know, is that we have abstracted grace uh, uh, and have treated it as almost like an invisible fluid yes. that's detached from any kind of actual gift. Right. So we kind of hmm. want to say on the one hand, like it's all about grace, grace, like you're saved by grace through faith. There's nothing you can do. It's all about grace. But then when you begin to pin down, what is grace? Um, well, then there's, um, well, uh, it's, it means God's unmerited favor, or it means like mm-hmm. we tend to move towards these abstractions yeah. um, that are actually divorced from any kind of actual concrete gift that we might give. So yeah. I think one of the, one of the, yeah, one of the goods I think that we need to do in terms of our Christian discourse is we need to be a little bit more precise when we're talking about saving grace in particular, it cannot be abstracted away from the gospel. Mm. That is the gift. What what grace did God give us? He gave us the gospel. That is the gift. Mm. And if we're when we're talking about saving saving grace, if someone was to deny that, then the question that you immediately ask back is, well, do you think that we can be saved apart from the gospel? Then, right? <laughs> um, 
it has to, I mean, saving grace has to move through the gospel if it's going to be ultimately saving, right? It's a response somehow to what God has done through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ's saving story, right? So we can't, there's, there's no way we can talk about ultimate saving grace and completely disconnect it from the gospel or else it's, it's, it's just not even Christian anymore. Right. Salvation comes through the gospel. Um, so that's the that's yeah. I think where a lot of my energy in the book lands is trying to help people hmm. recover a more concrete grace. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to, uh, for some reason, I keep thinking about Star Wars, but it, it's almost like people keep uh, uh, people treat grace like the Force. It's this thing that's out there that I can tap into, you know, to kind of do stuff, or you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's it, uh, like I like how you said it. It's a fluid. <laughs> Yeah, Rather than yeah, a concrete I, gift, it's like it's it is Jesus Christ and the life that we get caught up in. Yeah. Um, but but we have to say yes to that. Like God's not forcing yeah. our hand. Yes. Like there has to be a reciprocation to that gift. Yeah. That's how. And I, I think it's I I you know from I you've obviously done way more research into this uh, than I have. Um, but my understanding of the ancient kind of gift giving, the reciprocation isn't like oh I better pay you back for that so I'm off the hook. The reciprocation is a way of actually connecting communities, connecting right. us in relationships. So it actually reinforces social bonds. The the mutuality of of gift giving reinforces social bonds rather than I think a lot of times today we think of like if I get a nice gift from somebody, the there's shame that comes to me that feels like oh I better pay them back so I don't owe them anything. Whereas yeah. in the ancient world, I think the gift giving was meant to be almost like continual, to be like, we, we give one another gifts and we are reinforcing our care for one another as we do this, our, yeah, our connection with each put. other. Yeah. yeah, beautifully put. Uh, one of the things I wanted to hear more about, Matt, in your book, um, it's always great to write a book and then somebody to critique the book you didn't write. Um, <laughs> right, that happens. Yeah, I, I get plenty of that. Yeah, yeah. What I, I wanted to hear more from, so the shape of the gospel, you know, um, that you, the the ten moves, incarnation, enthronement, crucifixion, those ascending uh, of the spirit, ascension. Um, how does that relate? We can call, maybe call that the gospel that the uh, that the apostles preach in Acts, and we see Paul alluding to it. You talk about in in uh, Romans and other places. How does that relate to the the declaration of the kingdom that Jesus did in his earthly ministry, hmm. and um, the, the so so like in Acts when Peter preaches, uh, what, what what should we do? And Peter's like, well, you got to place your place your allegiance, place your trust in Jesus. But Jesus doesn't proclaim that kingdom gospel in the gospels. He's he's doing like discreet little acts of healing, hmm. uh, uh, inviting people to lunch. Uh, telling people to put down stones. How do these little discrete kingship activities and people connecting to those, how does that relate to this 10-piece gospel narrative? Yeah. Yeah, um, the question you ask is a question that I think has been asked down through the ages. And some people, some pastors have said, like, well, I guess Jesus just didn't preach the gospel. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, that's just part of, like, you know, salvation history is the gospel hadn't really arrived yet. Um, Scott McKnight in mm. his book, The King Jesus Gospel, sort of pushes back on that. And he has a chapter, and I believe the chapter is called, Did Jesus Preach the Gospel? Yeah. Uh, and he seeks to answer this exact question. And I think the answer that he gives uh, would be uh, in accordance with the answer that I'm giving here is that Jesus did preach the gospel because he preached himself. Like he is the mm. subject of his own message. Yeah. Right. So that there's something um, 
directly connected there to uh, Jesus's ministry. Um, the, the easiest way to think about this, I think, is to think about what what we even mean by the phrase "the kingdom of God," right? Um, and it, it's it's we should understand it as the rule of God that is being actualized in the world, and the kingdom of God. Then, if Jesus is saying that it's drawn near, he's saying that God is going to begin to rule again in some way in which he's he's not manifesting right now. Hmm. God is always in charge, right? But that he's he's allowing um, certain things to happen. He's allowing, uh, he's the bus driver, but he's allowing the bus to, to, to at least to all appearances, go off the road, right? Um, even though he's capable of doing otherwise, but we're going to see him take control in a more active way. Yeah. It seems to be the basic idea behind the kingdom of God and that he, God intends to do this then through the rule of a human. Like he always intended to rule through humanity. And so if humanity is distorted, right, we're not bearing the image properly, um, well, then there's no um, there's no vehicle for which through which God can rule the universe adequately, right? That's that he needs to rule through humanity because that's the that's the 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 framework in which he's established his proper rule. Mm-hmm. So if humanity is not in his image fully, if it's the image is occluded or distorted in some way, he has to find some way of restoring the original image in order to begin exercising rule over mm-hmm. humanity again in the proper way. So this is what he's doing through Jesus then, who's the divine human one, right? right. His, his exaltation to God's right hand, that's why the incarnation is absolutely critical to the gospel, right? right? Because this is Jesus who has taken on human flesh, who has taken up humanity, who has fully born the image, who is now seated at the right hand of God as the one who can rule heaven and earth appropriately. So as Jesus proclaims the nearness of the kingdom of God, he's really proclaiming the message that he is in the process of becoming king and that as as part of that process of becoming king, he's going to be vindicated by God in judgment and seated at his own right hand. Mm -hmm. So whenever we see throughout the Gospels these intimations that Jesus is going to be seated at God's right hand, uh, these are actually really important to the overarching gospel message in ways I think that just were were not uh, carefully recovered in previous theological eras. Yes. But we see it with the work of N.T. Wright, Scott McKnight, other mm-hmm. people. Um, I think we're in a, an era of recovery where people are seeing the enthronement as essential to the gospel because of the way it allows God's rule to flow forth through the image of God. Yes. Yeah. yeah. A, it's, a human. It, yeah, a human. Yeah, yeah, a human person. Yeah. Yeah, so so as we as we think about how do we gospel, how do we gospel other people? Could you could you speak to the connection between this Jesus is King and all the all of the incarnation, crucifixion, enthronement wrapped up in that? Hmm. And then how do we not make that the new abstraction that just becomes this cognitive, mental like ten? I've memorized the ten pieces and I agree with them internally. How do we connect it with the come out of a tree? And um, put down your sword, Peter. Like, how do we connect mm. it with these discrete invitations into his royal domain? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, I don't know that I have a better answer to that than <laughs> other practitioners. You know, as I think we're all trying to figure out how to um, mobilize the gospel yes. and to live more allegiantly. But, you know, I would see, on the one hand, um, Jesus's invitations, you know, to, um, to join his mission um, as, um, uh, on the one hand, demonstrations of the kingdom's reality, like some of his mighty deeds, hmm. right? We want to say like, he's, uh, he's breaking the kingdom in around him, right? As somebody experiences healing while well, healing is something that is part of the age to come and shows that resurrection life 
in some sort of incipient way is already present in his healing ministry, right? That he already, Jesus already has um, some sort of like strange power right? mm. that shows that he is an agent of the new, that is, is able to, to bring new creation in the new age and to break it into the old. Yep. So on the one hand, I think it's a validation of his ministry. Um, mm-hmm. And, and so, and, and so today also, I think when we, through the Holy spirit, like continue that ministry, right. As we, um, as we are invited to join in and to participate in his kingdom work. Um, one of the, one of the insights I think um, from, at least for me, that was helpful to me as I worked through the, this, this material with more care uh, is the sending of the spirit portion and the way that um, P- Paul and others seem to speak about that in circumscribed ways that the sending of the spirit um, is something that the spirit is active wherever Jesus is confessed as Lord. And he's active beyond that horizon, but there's something very important there about the kingdom community. So that we would say that that's where his domain, like the the kingdom of God, Jesus's kingship is presently exercised. And that um, it's not exercised in the same way in the world. Um, So uh, Hmm. more broadly, right? So, Anyway, that, that's helpful for me as I think about um, his his kingdom ministry and um, and how we might connect to it. But I don't know. I mean, I'd love to hear from you guys. Still, mm. like, what are you doing that you know that you find is effective in in you know sharing gospel allegiance with other people? How are you inviting yeah. them into the story? Well, hmm. I mean, that's basically our project at Gravity. It right? really is. It, it permeates everything. We've been we've been training pastors for five years and. Our, our, we've been doing the work you're doing in a much like for dummies kind of way, <laughs> I think. So we talk about, uh, we just reframe belief as an embodied demonstration of trust. And that people either wake up to that and they're like, thank you, this speaks to sort of a deep intuition I've had that belief isn't this abstraction inside. Mm-hmm. Or they call us heretics. And so, <laughs> right, it either turns people on or, or pushes people away. Yeah. So So for us then... We've worked back from, okay, if Jesus is Lord and his kingdom is defeating death, destruction, sin, um, and the powers of the enemy, like, how do those powers show up in our life? Like, where where are we in touch with Mm -hmm. sin, death, destruction, evil? And when we are there, what what is a declaration of Jesus's lordship? Not as a propositional sort of abstraction, but as a discrete, particular invitation into the kingdom life, mm-hmm. and then helping people craft craft some kind of, in view of that mercy, crafting some offering of their body as a living sacrifice. Yeah, that's great. And we and yeah. we name that faith. We're like that is your faith. You don't have a lot of people get hung up in that part of the process. A lot of people get hung up with. Oh, but it doesn't feel true. It doesn't, like, it doesn't, that doesn't feel true. That good news doesn't feel true, so I can't act. And we try to keep bringing people back to, your act is your faith. Mm-hmm. Like, offering your body in that way is faith. So, for example, mm-hmm. I am mean, just to get really concrete. Um, Tell us the story, Ben. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the uh, last uh, thing I can... So, I, I remember talking with uh, a woman who is a leader. She's a lay leader in a church um, as part of our training. And um, she was realizing that some of the some of the lies that she believes, some of the ways that these powers are at work in her life, or that she feels very insecure as a leader. That when when things happen in a room that are, she's like make she's uh, leading a discipleship group, and then she doesn't know like a theological answer. She doesn't know kind of what to do. She feels really really insecure, and and she ends up just 
you know, feeling like I shouldn't be doing this, you know, that kind of thing, despite the fact that there's tons of fruit from her ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, as we chatted through this, um, you know, the, the, the good news for her was that, you know, God has authorized her, that has empowered her to, to do this and look at all this good fruit. Um, so anyway, so her, her act of faith in that moment... Allegiance, if Allegiance you will. To, the, to the Lordship of Christ who has said to her, you are authorized, like, to, you know, to lead in this way, even if you don't know the, you know, the right answer or you don't know what to do. So her act of faith was basically just to confess to the group that she leads that she oftentimes feels unqualified to lead them. Like, mm-hmm. it was just to be weak in front of them, because the lie she was mm-hmm. believing was that she, she had to know the answers, and she had to be strong. She felt insecure because she, you know... So her act of believing that, that those things aren't true was basically just confessing. A lot of times I don't know what to do um, when I'm leading. That, that was mm-hmm. it. Like, it's a really simple <laughs> thing. And, uh, it, you know, it was beautiful. It's not... And it's not something you do if Jesus wasn't Lord. Right. If, yeah. if yeah. Jesus wasn't Lord, you have to hide that at all costs. Yeah, you quit the group or you, like, you brush up on your theology you and try pose. to get it better next time. Yeah. And, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, Matt. That's kind mm-hmm. of the stuff we're doing to try yeah, to that's connect great. these things. Yeah, that's great. I like how that in, like, embodies right? Um, yeah. um, the allegiance commitment and, and makes it concrete and yeah. says, like, be, because Jesus is the king, right, I can be a weak leader. And I can yeah. confess that I don't, I don't have all the answers. But, but guess what? He does. He's yeah, the king, yeah. and I'm, 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 I'm giving my allegiance to him in confessing my weaknesses. I yeah, love that. yeah. It's yeah. A, we're super concrete, and it's yeah. That that's the project. We we sort of just lead people in discerning, like what 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 would make sense for you right here in this moment. You I, know? I I think this is a. I mean, the Gospel Allegiance is it's it's an incredible book, Matt. And it, your project, I think, hopefully, you have more than one one more book in you, because I think we need to continue to unpack. I, I hear I hear nuns and duns and unbelievers not asking, is Christianity true, as much as I hear them asking, is Christianity good? Like, yeah. is, is this a way of living that makes better sense of reality than these other stories that are out there, whether it be, you know, capitalism or nihilism or whatever? And I think that uh, if we recover this idea of allegiance as the way we submit to and surrender to Jesus as King, uh, He will lead us into like virtuously beautiful ways of being together. Yeah, that will be a compelling missional apologetic to a world that desperately needs a better way to yeah. live. So anyway, I commend this book heartily. It's awesome, and and uh, the Thank work you. you're, the work you're doing, Matt, is is crucial. So. Uh, what's what's the next book about? What's what's the sequel or the prequel? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, it doesn't have a title yet, as the as is ordinarily the case. I mean, I have a proposed title for the press, um, but it's it's going to try to move the conversation forward into new territory. Um, one way to think about what I'm trying to do in Gospel Allegiance is to articulate a core model, like I call it the Gospel Allegiance model. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. And so the core model would be like, how do we interface? Um, the gospel, faith, grace, and works, right? That's really like kind of the core discussion. Yeah. Um, beyond that, we have all kinds of questions about soteriology, about salvation theory that um, that aren't answered there. Like, how does baptism fit into it? I mean, I might give a little bit um, in gospel allegiance about such things. How about questions of eternal security, like the, mm. the once saved, always saved debate? That's great. Um, and other things that um, are on, um, maybe not at the core of salvation theory, but are on the fringes. 
um, conversations about justification and how that works, um, for instance, and Catholic versus Protestant differences. So I'll be getting into that a bit more in in the next next, um, installment uh, when it comes. (laughs) And um, yeah, and then... Who knows? Yeah, maybe I do have a, a third book in me. Um, this book, I think I try to make it as practical as possible. A lot yes. of the practicality is, on the one hand, just storytelling yeah, and inviting people right. into, um, into um, yeah, the fabric of Christian life through just entering into other people's stories. Yeah. But also it's through the study guide in the back. Um, I, I hope maybe in the long run, possibly, to write a book um, that would be something along the lines of practicing gospel allegiance that would be really... Hmm. Um, really concrete. But on the one hand, I think there needs to be a certain buy-in to the model before yes. um, I'm ready to yeah. write that book. Yeah. Um, I need, there is a, there's been a good buy-in, but the, the circle of buy-in needs to increase. Right? Sure. There needs to be more yeah, and more for. churches that are sort of flying that flag. That's the banner that they have above their church in mm-hmm. a sense, right? Is that we are a, a gospel allegiance kind of church that mm. we believe in a Royal gospel and we believe in embodied loyalty to Jesus as King mm. as, as the, the primary expression of what that means. Yes. Um, more churches need to kind of, I, I think, um, yeah, make that the centerpiece of what they're all about. Um, mm. And that's really what I want. I mean, that's the ultimate goal. Like, why am I writing? Why, why am I doing this work um, when I could be just, you know, hiking with my family, which is what I love. Um, I do some of that too. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's what keeps me going is um, is the desire to see yeah. um, that, that kind of model of the church emerge because I think it's true and it's beautiful and it's integrative. And I think you're right. It does. Um, in our contemporary culture, hold promise too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we heartily commend it. It's great, and we're we're we're. I think we're attempting to do this at our church and and through yeah. gravity. Yeah. And so I, you've put into. I mean, you've really unpacked works and grace and and what faith is and what belief is and all that in in such a eloquent and I yeah. think um, just elegant way. So thanks for the book. Uh, thanks for your work. Hopefully, uh, your tribe, our tribe, will increase. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm I'm grateful for the work you guys are doing too. Um, as uh, yeah, we we all need to come together, acti- academics, practitioners, um, the whole body of Christ. Right? We all have our different um, parts to play, and those parts overlap and interlock. And yes. uh, yeah, I'm really absolutely. appreciative of all that pastor theologians like you guys are doing. Um, as it's it's tremendously important work. Great, Matt. So, awesome. All right, yeah. bless you. Hey, take care. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you enjoy learning from this podcast, please be sure to show your support by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on iTunes. Be sure to share with your friends on social media too. And we would love to hear from you. So please email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. You can join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.